Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and MinutemanTickets.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Wednesday, late afternoon. We're getting this to you a little late on Wednesday, but it was worth it. We got our Bowl Media Day. Out of the way here, uh, we talked about 15 players. This will be the only availability with players before California. We will speak with Ryan Day on signing day, which is December 19th. So that is coming up and that will be Ryan Day's uh, first real appearance by himself as the Ohio State head coach since the uh, initial news conference when he took over. But Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means are here. I am alive. Some people were questioning um, if I was a ghost, um, if the flu had done me in. Um, I did have actual influenza and have you ever had influenza steven to your knowledge not as an adult no but i have had it before um you're also old and crepit so probably took you out a lot longer than maybe it should have but i also have a chronic disease i have a lot going against me let's be honest (laughs) (laughs) i'm holding on by my fingernails here yeah but but i went so on tuesday last tuesday was the urban meyer uh news conference announcement it's the only thing that could have gotten me out of bed I went to the doctor on Wednesday. That's the only thing that could have gotten you out of bed? It's literally, it's like I'm dead. Like top five things that could have gotten you out of bed that day. Is like the coach of the team that I cover right. quitting. Mm-hmm. And and like, I don't, I don't even know what the second thing would be. It's like, I'm not getting out of bed unless what? Like Urban Meyer retires. It's like, oh, Urban Meyer's retiring. <laughs> yeah. It was like, get out of bed. So get up. <laughs> So I went to the doctor on Wednesday, and they swab, they swab you, they stick a like a really super long Q-tip, like really far up your nose, um, and they put it in like the instantaneous flu analyzer, and they were like, okay, this will tell us in five minutes. And the nurse, when she was doing it, um, was fine, and she left the room, and then the next time people came back in the room, they were wearing masks both my doctor and my nurse. And they were like, you have influenza. And I had a flu shot this year and I still got it. And they were like, we don't really know how you got it when you had a flu shot. And then they were like, you're the first person that we've seen get it this season. So they said, we're, we're going to swab me again in, in case they needed to send it to the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control. Oh, you were really out of it. Yeah, I wasn't like, I didn't have like stomach flu. I had like flu, flu, like, you know, like a hundred years ago, there was like, a flu pandemic this that really knocked been out. For you. Like, yes, I had, I had the real, I didn't have like, oh, my tummy hurts. I had like, my doctor wore a mask to be around me kind of flu. And I had that flu at the news conference last Tuesday. So if like Ryan Day can't recruit because, uh. I gave them the real flu. I apologize. We know who to blame if Ohio State loses some recruits. That is a lot of flu talk. But I just wanted to let people know because I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything for like six days. I was I, w- I was out of it. 
I was completely knocked on my old man butt. But now we are back, and we just talked to Ohio State players. We have a lot of things to get to. Um, the Buckeyes will be in California on December 26th is their welcome at Disneyland. And so uh, we'll have this podcast, and we'll have one more next week before we uh, before that stuff begins. We're going to talk a little bit about this playoff, okay, because uh, as we talk on Wednesday, um, there was a story on The Athletic this week talking to some of the power brokers in college football, former Ohio State President Gordon Gee, uh, former committee member and Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez. People are starting to push for an eight-team playoff, and with the playoff, there's, there's a lot of like fanciful stuff you can talk about. What do you think should happen? This is my plan. This is this plan, and, and you can talk yourself into a corkscrew doing that stuff. Um, but I think it, it's reasonable now because the people who have some power in college football are starting to talk about it. And my guess, seeing that these people are coming out of the woodwork and making a push, and these are decision makers. Um, these are people who have influence. And there is something in this 12-year TV contract where basically uh, if the people in charge um, – get together, they can probably make a change about halfway through. And this is year five of the playoff, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So this is year five of the playoff. My guess as we sit here right now is that next year, the 2019 season will be the final year of a 14 playoff. And my bet will be that they switch to an 18 playoff for the second half of this TV contract. Again, it's a 12-year TV contract. So my guess is that for the 2020 season, we will operate under an eight-team playoff structure. So that is just informed guessing based on how power brokers operate. Um, but let's spring off of a question because this is something that we've kind of um, – it's, it's been out there for a long time, and a lot of people have sort of the same kind of idea about it. This is from Sean Fouts on Gmail. It's headlined your 72nd, 1103rd email about the 18 playoff. His main, he says the main reason for an 18 playoff is we get to listen to Doug diss more boring teams who don't deserve to be in the postseason, and a Doug ran is always fun. The real reason is it will keep fans focused on their conference championships. Um, he, he was talking about the idea that uh, you were often talking about during the season how the committee will view something. But if you get to a point where every conference champ is in, you are, you're not worrying about how you're going to be evaluated by figure skating judges. You are competing for something that gets you somewhere. The biggest downside is an extra game for players. The solution is cut the regular season to 11. Um, here's what I think would happen, though, if they did this is I think if they go to an 18 playoff, they're going to get rid of the conference championship games. The proposal that's out there is one that a lot of people have proposed, that you turn conference championship game weekend into quarterfinal weekend. And you do them on campuses with home games for the top four seeds. And then once you have that first round out of the way, you then proceed as you do now with semifinals and a championship game later in January. But you just turn conference championship weekend into quarterfinal weekend. You're not actually adding a game. You're actually reducing a game for some people because you're going to eliminate conference championship games. Right now, more than eight teams play uh, on conference championship weekend. You would cut it down to eight, and nobody would play an extra game. So if you're Ohio State, you play 12 regular season games. You now would play in a quarterfinal as game 13, a semifinal as game 14, and a championship as game 15, as opposed to the current system where you play 12, you play Big Ten championship game 13. Then if you make the playoff, that's 14 and 15. So... 
it, I think that's where we're headed, Stephen, if that's where we're headed. And I think we may as well try to ground this discussion in reality because I think a discussion that's more based in possibility than, hey, I think we should do an 11-team playoff with three buys. What? Let's talk about this eight-team structure where we're talking about five conference champs are automatically in, the best group of five team is in, Central Florida or somebody like them, and then two wild cards. If that's what we're talking about, is that better than the current setup? Is that better for college football? Is it better for the Big Ten? Is it better for a program like Ohio State? I think it is, first and foremost, because you get all of the Power Five conference championships into it, and then you get pretty much three at-large teams and UCF. Sometimes, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get that. That that team mostly is going to be like the eight seed, right? Playing the one seed. Yeah, and then what will happen is every once every millennial, I don't know, every so often, every blue moon, that eight seed might upset the number one seed. More than likely, that's not like. Let's just put it in. Let's say that was happening this year. Alabama would be playing UCF this year. It's very unlikely that UCF can even compete against Alabama this year. But you know, it's football. It's one game. Anything can happen. And I think that adds an entertainment value that helps out with college football as far as from a TV rating standpoint. And but the biggest thing is you get all five of the Power Five conference champions into a bowl game, and there's not always consistently one one conference left out. That, I think, is the major sticking point in all this, is that a team like Ohio State, you have one stumble, you you come from a good conference, you beat some good teams in your conference, um, you win a decent non-conference game, you win your conference championship, and you're not in. Um, I do think, and I came around on this, I've been kind of all over the place. It's like the eight-team playoff is so obvious. It's like to be for the eight-team playoff, I sort of always felt was like, well, yeah, of course you can be for the eight-team playoff. Like it's right there in front of you. But I just, I don't think the four-team playoff is terrible. But I do think there, I came around on conference championships um, because I do feel like the conference championship is a celebration of a conference. It is a gathering place for a conference. It is something for um, teams that that aren't necessarily in the playoff race but have something to play for. They can go and be part of that. Um, a team like Northwestern, if we go to this, Stephen, would, would we be losing anything? You no longer would have conference champions. You would not know. You would have Ohio State is like the Big Ten East champion. I don't know how anybody would figure out how you award a conference championship. Because if you are eliminating conference championship games, but all these teams are still going to have divisions, do you do away with divisions? But if you're a 14-team league, you're not going to play everybody in your league. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be an unbalanced schedule. I, I, I don't know. Don't we need... In the pursuit of a playoff, and I'm all for the pursuit of a true champion in college football, but should it come at the expense to the extent that like there's no such thing as a conference champion anymore? When we talk about when we talk about great coaches and great programs and they say, How many Big Ten championships did Ryan Day win? How many Big Ten championships is how are you gonna determine that? Is does A is there a way to figure that out? And B, is it just something that would be lost and like tough noogies? Who cares? Nobody cares about conference championships. I think you can't do that in football because you don't play everybody in your conference. <clears throat> Regardless, I think a better solution is just get rid of one regular season. Maybe just one Big Ten 
game during the regular season. I don't think you can, because the whole point of like, I think the biggest selling point for going to eight teams is all five of the power five conference champions get into a college football playoff. Well, if you're getting rid of the championship game, you don't really have a true champion. You just have, if you have a favorable schedule and you just win those games and you're going to get into the playoff, which isn't a, a realistic champion. It's not a true champion. And that's the whole point of a conference champion is to have a true job, true champion within your conference. I think what should happen is, Within these divisions, I think they need to be a little more evened out because if, if you look at the Big Ten, the East and the West are like two totally different divisions as far as the competitive nature. And pretty much since they've gone the East and West, pretty much if you win the East, you're going to win the Big Ten championship. Uh, before this year, each of the since they went to East and West, every team that played in the Big Ten championship was at least ranked number 11 in the country or higher. Yeah. So... Uh, I think there's that there's that idea out there certainly that uh, the East is stronger with Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. But the West has put up a, I mean, in 2015, Michigan State and I were like number four and five in the country and basically played a play-in game for the playoff in the Big Ten championship. Um, Wisconsin was undefeated and a playoff team before losing to Ohio State um, in the 2017 Big Ten championship game. So. Um, I, I do think, I do think that the West has actually put up a decent team. I mean, even Northwestern this year, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world to have the twenty first ranked team in the country in your championship game. I don't think it was a um, a travesty of of justice that that happened. I'm trying to look now what what the uh, what's the scenario? What's the scenario where you still keep conference championship games? So you're saying you eliminate a regular season game, yeah. go to 11, keep the conference championship games, and then go into quarterfinals. So you're just playing the conference championship games like Thanksgiving weekend. Mm-hmm. And then going, so the schedule doesn't change, you're whacking out a regular season game. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you lose? You just lose, you lose one week of prep for, you know, <coughs> what would have been the semifinals because you're now playing in an extra game then instead of. And really, you don't even lose that week because, like, if you're losing a regular season game, you're just pushing everything else backwards. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it is hard the idea of, like, you're putting in conference champions if you don't have conference champions. Like we're saying, how are you going to determine who the Big Ten champion is? It's like, well, the Big Ten champion is the team that's going to be in the playoff. But you have to have a mechanism for determining that. I'm trying to look because the story, again, the Athletic had a story that sort of started this. But in that scenario, um, that's what they were doing. They were doing away with conference championship games you never to really create have- this quarterfinal weekend. Wait, now i got to read about it. Here, talk about some stuff. Okay, see, here's the problem with that. Like, since you don't play everybody in your conference, what if you play, what if two teams played, somehow, played two totally different Big Ten team schedules and they never played each other? And then they ended up with undefeated Big Ten records. So then what happens? Like, so yeah, this is, so in this <laughs> athletic story, it says, it's based on this model that this, this old guy who's been around forever has sketched out. Mm-hmm. It says the model includes five Power Five conference champs. 
the group of five, the best group of five team in two at-large spots. Conference championship games would be eliminated. So how are you determining who the conference champs are? Because if two good teams have the exact same record, right. well, then how do you break a tie? <coughs> well, they got to go play against each other now. And you, if they play against each other, what is that called? It's called a conference championship game. Because the whole point is you want to get away from a world where teams are being put in by rankings and right. teams are being put in by committees. You're trying to determine things on the field. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a game for a championship and you say, well, we're going to have everyone plays the regular season and the highest ranked team gets in, that's not a champion. That's basically the same problem we have now, which is a group evaluating people. See, I don't, so, so I don't know that there, hmm. There's like a, there's an athletic story that doesn't, that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how you get to that. If you're eliminating conference championship games, then how are you determining conference champions? Tim. Sorry. Here we'll have to, we have to call in Tim May. Hold on a second. Uh, Tim May's at the, at the, the table next door. Okay, we're doing the podcast. If they eliminate conference championship games to create a quarterfinal round in an 18 playoff, how do you determine which teams get in? Because how do you determine who the conference champions are? Well, number one, why would you have conferences if you didn't have conference championships, number one? Uh, especially with conferences now, as large as they are, you you have to come to some kind of uh, you have to have you a have conference to, championship. You have to have game, a conference right? champion. Number two, if you went to a if you went to an eight team playoff, the the ideal thing would be that all all five power conference champions would be in the eight team playoff. You'd have uh, two at larges and at least one of the group of five or group right. of six conferences as the uh, as the other three teams. That's but I how, thought, but I thought we were gonna are we just adding a game then? And the 18 playoff because we yeah. can't get rid of conference championship well, games makes, in favor makes, of the 18 playoff. But everybody makes a big deal about if you went to an 18 playoff that you would have three extra games instead of two. Only two teams would have three right. extra games. Only four teams would have two extra games. But so, you can't do away with the conference championship games. Because uh, otherwise, my, you can't. Well, in my opinion, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist number one, uh, and that goes back to decide a conference champion. How else would you decide a conference champion yeah. when you've got a 14 team Big Ten? Or a 12-team Pac-12, or a 14-team SEC. How are you going to determine a real conference champion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Stephen's finishing the story. I'm going to go ask. I'm going to go ask these guys at the other table too. This is a podcast that's on the move because now I'm confusing myself. Okay, so an eight-team playoff, right? Eight-team playoff. You can't eliminate the conference championship games because then you don't have a, fig- a way to figure out who the conference champions are. Right, unless you, unless you just do eight at large. But but you but the whole point is we want to get away from rankings. We want to have teams right. earn it on the field and get in. So you can't do away with conference championship games, right? Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. I'm saying yes. You are right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're adding right. to the schedule. We're not replacing conference championship games with a quarterfinal weekend. We're just because playing. You must add. I think mean, maybe, sh- maybe you have to. I think maybe you have to short for regular season to eleven games. Yeah. I say three non-conference games, like for everybody. Get rid of the ninth big ten. Play game. eight three, yeah. but you can't because the thing in the story today Look, said story? said get rid of this is on a podcast said oh. get rid of conference championship games and do quarterfinal weekend on campus sites. But then how do you know who the conference champions are? Then you just the league has to designate the way that FCS have, determines them. It's just determined by then league we're record. Back at the, where we started, just again. league, but the champions determined by league record in an unbalanced but, schedule. But they take yeah. sixteen people, so like, right? And in a world where you could have two undefeated teams. Then they would get an out. They want a tiebreaker. Yeah. Okay. Five but you really can't just cavalierly do away with conference championship games. Effectively, you get to 16 if you keep the conference championships game, games. You get some of the intrigue down the stretch. Yeah, because those conference championship games are playing games. That's effectively right. part of the playoff. Then. Right. 
That's even though some and then some teams could lose that game and still get in as an at large. But really, yeah, I, I don't think that the argument that you're adding wear and tear is all that sound because it's only going to apply to you know eight teams total, right? And they're not going to continue winning. But I just thought people there. I thought there was a segment of the people who were just like, "Well, conference championship games are dumb. Just get rid of them and turn that into quarterfinal weekend." Except then you don't have champions. It's messier. Yeah. Well, yeah. like, how do they settle the champions in conferences before the conference championship? Record. Just record. So. But they also know. didn't. But everybody played it. Everybody more. Yeah. So, I mean, the Big Twelve would be fine doing that. But how do you how do you determine that? You end up in a, in a year where Ohio State and Iowa are both eight zero. Yeah. Well, it's also not going to be possible if the Big Ten goes to 16 teams. Like, right. You can't name a champion any other way. Right. With that many teams, you have to have divisions in a conference championship game yeah. to have any shot at determining a true champion. And it's already that way with 14. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, it's, it's very confusing. I was, I was, I had confused myself because I thought it was clear, but it's actually not that clear. Um, so listen, I think I think the point is maybe that this is the point is that this is a little more complicated, and that was Austin Ward and Bill Landis and Ario Wasserman and Dan Hope. It's a little more complicated. It's not a hundred percent. It's not totally cut and dry of like boom, eight teams. This is what you do. There's still stuff that needs to be figured out now. Back at the table with Stephen Means, there's still some complicating factors in there. Yeah, one hundred percent. And there's always going to be some <coughs> complicating factors. I think. The, but I think that there has to be a mindset of no matter what happens, if you're going to – whatever you're going to do, there has to be true conference championships, especially from the five power, power conferences. There has to be conference championship, champions in the playoff, regardless of how that happens. How you get to that point needs to be clear and as clear-cut as possible. There can't be a – like there is – there can't be a situation where you've got two teams that say you play seven big te- – seven conference games and both of those teams are six and one and then all of a sudden the thing that decides them is the fact that one team is ranked higher than the other because then you're just going backwards in the whole process yeah you want to keep this on the field you want to you want as much as possible because there you really are creating a situation where if you can get to a world where conference champions are determined by an on-field conference championship game and winning that conference championship game gets you a spot in if you take care of your business, you're guaranteed to get where you want to get. Five teams would guarantee their spots. Then you have the group of five best team and then two wild cards for the year when the second place team in a conference is really, really good. But that's not guaranteed. You're leaving that to chance a little bit. I understand the idea of wanting to narrow this down and make it more about on-field results because I do think we've, we've reached the point with the committee where it's more about on-field results but and Barry Alvarez said this in the story on the Athletic. He, he's confused. He's a guy who was on the committee at the start of this process, and it's no longer. Gene Smith has taken his place as the Big Ten rep. He says he's confused by the criteria, and I think the the one thing that I think has ended up happening. And do you agree with this, Stephen? That there's people have lost some faith, lost some faith in the mechanism for whatever it is whether it was, it was pollsters and computers back in the day of the BCS or whether it's a committee now, I think you want people to have faith 
in the mechanism that determines the teams. And right this very second, I'm not so sure that people have all that much faith. Yeah, and I think part of the reason they don't have faith is there's no consistent like yeah. measuring stick for how you're going to do this. Like It's almost like a grading rubric. If you're changing your grading rubric every single season, then students aren't going to know, okay, well, how am I supposed to get an A in this class? How am I supposed to get a B in this class? How can I keep myself from failing this class? And I think that's what the problem is with this entire process is Every year it changes on how they're going to view teams. This year it's, you know, what are bad, they're, you know, weighing heavily on bad losses versus, you know, good wins. And last year it was the other way around. And year before that it was something else. And the year before that was who was on a roll, roll and had momentum. And then it was, a, you know, who's been consistent all year. There's constantly a different criteria for why a team should be able to compete for a national championship. And I think that's part of the problem is it's hard to have faith in something that doesn't have consistency. So I think that's where it needs to start, regardless of whether or not they stay at four <coughs> or go to eight. They need to figure out, okay, we have... <clears throat> For all four teams or all eight teams or even let's just if they go to eight teams, you're going to get the five conference championships and you're going to have three at large teams. So let's just say whether it stays at four now or if you go to a position where you're pretty much only picking three teams, then you're just kind of seeding them. Why should a team get in? What are the what are the check marks that have what are the things that have to be checked off that would say, okay, this is a team that we should allow into the conference to the college football playoff? Yeah. And I do think the best way, I mean, in football, the best way for people to have confidence in the system is for it to be determined on the field. Yeah. And and there's no, you know what, if Northwestern upsets Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game and Northwestern gets in, Northwestern beat them. You can, there's no, what's the argument? Yeah, Northwestern won on the field. And you can't Ohio, argue that. Ohio State can hope they get one of the wild card spots. But I mean, I think that's, that's a very clear, understandable thing. That was, we got off track a little bit there, but I just sort of realized in the middle of the discussion that it, it, it even this isn't as clear cut as I thought it might be. Um, because I do think you need that championship. You need a champ, you need a true champion and a champion that is determined by on the field stuff. All right. We have a lot of other things to get to. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about some of these questions that we have on Twitter from people, and we'll also get back to some of the uh, Gmail questions we have. Again, this is Buckeye Talk. You can follow us. Uh, you can follow Buckeye Talk Pod on Twitter. You can follow Stephen underscore Means. You can follow Doug Maurice. You can email us at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. You can drop uh, reviews at iTunes. Um, if some of you have had some issues with Google Play and uh, the podcast showing up there, I've checked with some of our IT people. It seems like there are some overall issues with Google Play and some podcasts um, showing up there, not just ours, in a timely fashion. So I don't know if the best answer is for you guys to maybe find a different platform to listen to. Um, we've done everything we can with that. I think it's uh, there's a Reddit thread about it. That I think there's some Google Play issues. So um, it's not on our end because... There's nothing has changed there, and and it's processing uh, on other platforms smoothly. So um, that's just to make sure that everybody gets a listen on that. We have a couple questions about uh, our reviews, which we are back to a four and a half star podcast at the moment, but we'll talk about that later. Um, let's see. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. At Cavs Buckeyes, how much momentum would a Zach Harrison commitment give Ryan Day? And his program. So uh, Zach Harrison, I guess, has said that he's going to announce. He's just going to tweet it on signing day on the 19th. And his Twitter is private, and I've requested to follow him. So, like, stay tuned to see if I'm worthy enough to follow Zach Harrison. So he's going to tweet 
something that most people can't see. Yeah. Like it. Like how? Uh, yeah. Okay. He's amazing, by the way. He's really not into this scene, is he? There's plenty of professional athletes who can probably use him as like as an advisor on how to keep things in house. Yeah, in this world, I mean, most people don't want to keep things in house, but he a wants to keep things in house and also has like managed to do it and really keep seamlessly a, 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 a super high profile. Recruiting process. This guy's one of the top ten recruits in the country, uh, and he's down to the three biggest powers in the Big Ten East, and he has really kept it um, under wraps to a great degree. You were there uh, at his high school, Stephen, mm-hmm. on the day that Urban Myers uh, announced his retirement. How would you characterize? And 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 we know that there have been some. Uh, in-state guys who have not gone to Ohio State. Jackson Carmen was a big deal when he did not choose Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you characterize how big a deal it would be, especially now for Ryan Day, for a new coach, to get Zach Harrison from Olentangy, just down the road here in the Columbus suburbs? How big a deal is this for Ryan Day? I think that would be his first major commitment right now. He's, <coughs> If we're going to be honest here, he's this is He's trying to solidify Urban Meyer's last recruiting class. If we're going to keep this honest here, the, um, he's gotten one player has committed to Ohio State since Ryan Day took over the job. But for the most part, these home visits are trying to solidify a recruiting pitch that Urban Meyer has put in place with certain guys for two, three, maybe even four years. So I think for him to, who's been, he's been on the job for what two weeks now, something like that. For him to solidify a top ten, nine uh, days. No, eight days. Eight days, yeah. Eight days since Ryan Day has taken over as the head coach of Ohio State. So for him to be able to pretty much lock down a top 10 high school football recruit at that point will be, what, 12 days into the job would be extremely impressive. It would show his ability to recruit a little bit. And it would be a huge momentum for, like, the next years where he's already lost two guys from the 2020 class. So to kind of pick up kind of I guess make up for that in a little bit of a way with a five-star guy would be huge as we speak here on Wednesday afternoon 16 commitments in this Ohio State 2019 class currently ranked number nine in the country listen this is not this is not as good as a normal Ohio State class Ohio State's been number two in the country each of the last two years uh, Garrett Wilson is their highest ranked recruit he's number 16 overall the five-star receiver from like Travis in Texas he has reaffirmed his commitment to Ohio State. Harry Miller, the uh, center, is number 31 in the country from Georgia. He has reaffirmed his commitment to Ohio State. Jordan Battle from St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, home of the Bosas, uh, among other people. That's a, <coughs> a school with, I'm like 90, I'm like 85% better. <coughs> 85% better. God, I was really dead. I'm yeah, 85% man. better. I'm not 100% better. Jordan Battle from St. Thomas Aquinas. Alabama's after him. He's a safety, number 77 in the country. Doug Nestor, offensive lineman from West Virginia. He's basically said he's kind of uncertain at this mm-hmm. point. He's number 92 in the country. Cade Stover, who you just talked to, Stephen, is number 102 in the, uh, 106 in the country. He's locked in. At the moment, there are only four players in the top 100 in the country who are part of this Ohio State class, who are pledges right now. And even Cade Stover, who's the Mr. Football of Ohio, 
uh, high school football, he even said that for a moment, until he had an opportunity to sit down with Ryan Day and have a conversation with him, he wavered a little bit and was a little unsure whether or not he still wanted to come to Ohio State. And that, that conversation with Ryan Day really kind of solidified his decision. Last year, Ohio State had 10 players in the top 100 in their 2018 class. And in 2017, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven. Okay. So here's what we're talking about. That's 11 in the class of 2017, 10 in the class of 2018, four right now. Mm-hmm. And one of those four may not get here. Now, now Zach Harrison certainly is a, a guy who's obviously in the top 100. They're after a couple other guys like that. But it's just not at this same level. And the reason that I think there's a lot of hope, there's reasons to think that Ohio State is still trending upward, and we've talked about it a million times this year, is because those 2017 and 18 classes are so good. The 2017-18 classes were both ranked number two in the country. Food in here if you guys want to oh. grab some food. Thanks, Jerry. Um, so God, I didn't... Over, so that yeah. your, your stories are to- still totally objective. Yes. You know. yeah. Jerry Emig. Of course. Are you recording about that talk? We are yes. recording about that talk. <laughs> yes. Jerry Emig checking in, taking care of us as always. Again, we're a little bit on the fly here. Um, so, like, this is not that. This is number nine in the country. This is an uncertain class. Zach Harrison would be a big deal, but I also think, Stephen, and again, you talked to him, you talked to his coach that day, this is a little bit of a different kid. This family has been super thoughtful about this. This family has been super grounded about this. Sometimes there are kids from down the road who don't want to go down the road. Sometimes they want to go away, and sometimes you lose a battle just based on that. Mm -hmm. However... Like you read message boards and you, you, you look at things and there are a lot of people who think that Zach Harrison is trending toward Ohio State after thinking previously that a lot of stuff was trending toward Michigan. Mm-hmm. Is this like a defining guy? Is this a failure if they don't get him? Like did they fail or did they just run into a kid if they don't get him? Did they just run into a kid who wanted to go away? Because of the situation they are in, I think this is a win-win for Ohio State. Obviously, you want to get the top 10 player in the country who's from, you know, a school that's literally 10, 15 minutes away from your campus. Obviously, that's a thing you want to accomplish. But I think if he gets them, it's a, wow, look what Brian Day was able to do two weeks into his time as Ohio State's head coach. He was able to swing a guy who has literally kept this so close to the, to the waist that his own friends don't even have a clue about where he may or may not go. If he was able to swing him away from your <coughs> rival, away from Penn State, to come play for a coach who has really not proven he has the capability to coach at Ohio State outside of three games, if we're going to keep it honest here. But if he doesn't get him, there's a, there's a thought that, okay, this is the year, this is the year where it's like players are thinking, eh, he's too new. I want to see what he does first. I'm not going to, take that chance there and so I don't think anybody's going to fault him for not locking down Zach Harrison this year now next year yeah it's going to be like yo you need to get the top 10 guy who's from your state and not only from your state but he's from 15 minutes down the road yeah you need to get that guy but I think also with the fact that this is Zach Harrison nobody really knows what he's thinking and I think everybody has an idea of what he may be thinking and how Who's coaching won't even matter. It will matter about a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, the same spiel that every recruit gives about, you know, life after football, education, all that stuff, all that great stuff. But I think 
it's such a unique situation come when you combine the fact that Ryan Day's only been doing this job for eight days, Zach Harrison and his personality so far that we've seen how he's handling things. It's such a unique situation that I don't think that you can look at this and like from a large standpoint of a, this is a failure if you don't get him, but this is an extreme success if you do get him. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, we'll have some words from our friends who sponsor us here at Buckeye Talk, and then we'll be back. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Hey, shopohiostate.com fans. It's the coziest sale of the season. Says so right on the website, shopohiostate.com, the website for the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. Here's what they got. Free shipping through Christmas Eve. Go buy your stuff. They'll ship it to you for free through December 24th. That includes 25% off all sweats and outerwear. That means gloves. That means scarves. That means beanie caps. Ooh, here's a nice scarf. Here's a nice tartan blanket. 20, that's 30 bucks down to 22 and a half. Um, all kinds of good stuff. Lots of good sales. Lots of wide variety of high quality merchandise. Great for you. Great for gifts, a million sweatshirts, hoodies and not, fleece, zip-ups, sweatpants. Seriously, if you have an Ohio State fan in your life, please go check out shopohiostate.com this holiday season. Again, free shipping through Christmas Eve. You help shopohiostate.com. They've helped us. Been a loyal sponsor, the first sponsor we signed up here on Buckeye Talk. Wide variety of cool stuff. See for yourself shopohiostate.com Alright, back on Buckeye Talk here at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Uh, Secret Agent Randy Beans at 1774. Random question. Possible off-season podcast topic. It's We're doing it right now. It's in-season. How do you all get recognition and website media? Do you get better evaluations if we click your articles? How do they track it? What are you evaluated That's on? That's a great question. If we all click on your articles 10,000 <laughs> times a day, will you be better evaluated? We'll love you. Forever. Yes, yes, if you would like to sit and do that. But uh, they'll fix it though. It'll, yeah, like, they fix, would. It, it'll tell if you're just like gang, 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 the whole time. But like, like yeah. Well, it's Ste- Ste- Stephen has just been exposed to this world. So we won't spend much time on this because probably 95% of you don't care. But we do have a <clears throat> mechanism, a metric, where you can see how many people have read everything you've ever written. And you can see the most popular stories on Cleveland.com in the last 10 minutes, in the last week, in the last month. Four hours. So that site can be very addicting, can it not, Stephen, to yeah. see as you go try to find out who's reading your stuff? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm looking at it right now. I want. Can you guys – I mean, since you asked the question, I'm just going to go ahead and plug my article. Go read my Cage Stover story. It's one of the top five you know, most clicked articles of today. I'm just going to throw that out there yeah. for a day. But, yeah, please, like, go read it. Yeah, it's Please. um, it's uh, it is important. It's not the only thing we're evaluated on. They want quality uh, before anything else, so they care most about how good your stories are. Um, but how many people read them Matters. is part of how our website makes money. So of course, it's about it's part of how we are evaluated. So if anyone out there wants to sit and click on our stories ten thousand times, that's great. Although um, unique viewers, unique users are actually more important than the clicks themselves. So mm-hmm. it would be better if you would tell a thousand people that Cleveland.com is a place that you should read for Ohio State coverage. That would help us. So yes, it does matter, and I'm good with that. Like that's like if you have a product. 
you should want people to consume your product. So it's no different than circulation numbers with a newspaper. People cared what the plain dealer's circulation number was. They still do, but they cared more back in the day. And this is no different than that. Instead of rather than circulation uh, for a website, it's, it's circulation for your individual story. So you want that circulated as much as possible. Another question, not about the football program, which is just what you people love. George Bevan, GP Bevan. One is iTunes like the 2018 playoff committee. They seem to punish for one-star reviews more than they reward for five stars in the composite rating. Does Buckeye Talk make the podcast playoffs? So we are not a five-star podcast at the moment. I did the math. I like to sit down and do the math sometimes on the uh, on the uh, podcast. We have um, like 600 reviews or so. And at the latest rating as of Wednesday morning, we were a 4.740515. That's not bad. To be... Be a five-star review, you have to be at 4.75, and we're at 4.74. So we're there. So we need a couple more five-stars because the point is it is a tough business. Um, we're trying to be a five-star, so a five-star certainly helps us, but a five-star, an individual five-star doesn't help you as much as a one-star just destroys you. And it's we've like- only had like 27 one-stars, and we have like – 575 stars but man a one star that's not many stars brother that is that really knocks you down so i know this will probably inspire someone who doesn't probably no one's going to give steven a one star yet because he's new and he's vivacious i'm vivacious i'm a grumpy old sick person that some of you are tired of and i'm sure this is going to inspire someone to go give us a one-star review but yes the one stars kill us george bevan and you need about 25 stars to make up for one one star it's just like in life let's just like you know anytime you fail it's like well not fail let's just say you do something stupid that you shouldn't have done it's going to set you back a lot more and like it takes years and years of positive you know actions to reach success but one small mistake can just screw it all up even sometimes we don't make a mistake you're just mean yeah um Nathan Freilich at nfray23. We'll get back to the Buckeyes. Who's going to skip the bowl game? So, Stephen, you were there at Draymond Jones' mm-hmm. table today when he affirmed that he is playing. When Correct. we talked to him uh, on the Sunday that the playoff pairings were announced and that Ohio State was announced as playing in the Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. he left the podium that day by saying, we'll see about him playing. And that's a completely rational thing for him to say because yeah. he is projected as a first-round draft pick, and if you are a first-round draft pick and your team is not in the playoff, you must at least think about it. But he said he's playing. Yeah, he said that, <clears throat> in fairness, that he said we'll see as a joke just to have some fun with us as media. Um, he had, he never had any intentions on not playing in the game. He's 100% playing so far <clears throat> that I know of, unless somebody else at a different table said otherwise. Everybody's playing other than Nick Bosa because he's not here. Right. Everybody who is healthy and accounted for will be playing in the Rose Bowl. So there was some mention today about something that piqued my interest a little bit that made me think there might be somebody else out there who's thinking about not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who that is. I don't think there are a ton of candidates for that. Like Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin, those senior guys are playing. There's only six seniors. Um, So it would have to be one of these underclassmen who's thinking about draft stuff. And all I will tell you is Denzel Ward is one of the nicest 
nicest guys and toughest football players you will ever meet. And he didn't play in the bowl game. And so uh, it's just, I think sometimes it's very easy to talk about this subject in a negative way and that you automatically is like, oh, who's not playing? Oh, if, if Denzel Ward can do it, anybody can do it. And it does not make you a bad person. I mean, it's just it, Denzel Ward cared about his teammates. Denzel Ward was not a selfish person. Denzel Ward was not a, a problem guy. Denzel Ward was everything you want a Buckeye to be. He didn't play. They won. And he went fourth in the draft. So, like, it all worked out. Denzel was also a top five draft pick. Yeah. I think that's going to play a role. I think is, is the difference between in this, you know, you being a top a number one first round draft pick and you just getting drafted. I don't know if there's enough guys on this team right now where you're looking at them and going, Oh, they're probably first round draft pick. To Which where is this wh- is an issue of like, is a guy going to, I think the one guy that you would have questioned is probably Dwayne Haskins or Draymond Jones. Right. Draymond Jones says he's playing. Dwayne Haskins is a quarterback. That, that, that hasn't happened yet where we've seen a top will, 10 kick as a quarterback do it. So Will Greer is not playing in the bowl game for West Virginia. Right. And that was the first quarterback in this new era of guys asserting their power by some guys not playing in bowl games. Mm-hmm. That was the first quarterback to do so. That surprised me a little bit. But, again, he's in the camping bowl. Yeah. The camping bowl is not the Rose Bowl. So it would not be the same thing. I just think Dwayne ha- Dwayne Haskins is playing. Dwayne yeah. Haskins wants to play in the Rose Bowl. Dwayne Haskins wants to put on a show. Um, I, I do think it's a little different for a quarterback, but I do think it's possible that there might be another another underclassman out there who's gonna be drafted, not in the first round, but and I'm not. There's no point in saying names because I don't know who it is, and we would just be speculating. But just think about some guys who are underclassmen who could go pro and who would get drafted. Mm-hmm. And and there might be somebody in that mix who ends up doing it. I just hope in the end um, nobody gets mad at him. I don't know. Greg C74, that's Greg with two Gs at the end, three Gs overall. Do you see Bill Davis and Greg Shiano both coaching in the Rose Bowl? Um, and then have you ever been to or covered Rose Bowl? So Bill Davis and Greg Shiano, first of all, um, Clearly, there is uh, some interesting stuff going on here because there is no, Ryan Day is a new coach. There is no guarantee. No assistant coach has a guaranteed job. Brian Hartline. Yeah, Brian Hartline is the only one. I, if I had to guess right now, I, I, I don't think either of those guys is back next year. That's a complete guess. But I can't imagine that they wouldn't coach in the Rose Bowl. The only way they're not going to coach in the Rose Bowl is if they get a job. And I know Greg Schiano's name is is one of the names that's been out there with the Temple head coaching job. Don Brown, the Michigan uh, defensive coordinator, did interview for that Temple job. It seems like they're looking at defensive guys. Um, so if someone gets a like gets a head coaching job, then maybe. But if it's just because maybe somebody's not returning on Ryan Day's staff um, on January 2nd doesn't mean they're not going to coach January 1st. So we have heard nothing. These guys are all out recruiting right now. They're finishing up this class. Um, I do think there's going to be changes. I do not believe that Ryan Day is going to bring back the other nine assistants wholesale uh, and just have one vacancy to fill. By the way, it's going to be fascinating to see who he hires as the quarterback's coach um, because he has to replace himself. But I think there are going to be well, – we've talked about it in the last podcast. I think there are going to be some other changes. It wouldn't make sense for Ryan Day to just bring back everybody, right? I mean, you're, you're the coach. You get to pick your staff. I think, I think 
he already has some guys in mind that he knows he's not bringing back 100%. I don't know this, like, this isn't some inside information about Ron. I just think that he's, this is definitely things he's already thinking about. And there are certain guys that he kind of knows because he was on his staff last year, this past year. So he doesn't, he does know these guys a little bit or, you know, to say the least. So I think he knows there are certain guys that, yeah, I'm just not going to bring those guys back. And there are certain guys that, you know, maybe he'll bring back. And then like so far, Brian Hartline was a, a clear cut. Yeah, we're bringing that guy back. We just have four receivers catch for over a thousand yards this season. Now we'll see what happens next year when you don't have three seniors, pretty much all upperclassmen in those roles. You got guys who are stepping into brand new positions on this team for the first time in their careers at Ohio State. So we'll see if like, I'm not saying that they're going to have a thousand yard receivers at that are four deep, but I'm just saying we'll see now that, you know, the experience isn't there nearly as much as it was this year, what type of coach Brian Hartline truly is. But like to go back to that original question, I don't know. Like we, none of us know we have, I think we all have some thoughts on who should be back and who for sure should not be back. But Ryan Day's been on job for eight days. So we won't know until after the Rose Bowl. Everybody has ideas in their head. Anybody worth their salt who's thinking about becoming a head coach has a list of guys um, in a drawer somewhere that they want to be on their staff someday. So he has that list. Every coach does. And he's going to want some of those guys. We've talked about this a lot. I think the three guys who are uh, most closely associated personally with Urban Meyer on the staff are Greg Schiano, Bill Davis, and Greg Studrawa. Those are the three guys that I'm wondering about and thinking about. There have been some rumors with, with Alex Grinch is maybe potentially uh, Oklahoma coming after Alex Grinch to try to get him to be their defensive coordinator. Um, I do think that Greg Schiano and Ryan Day had a lot of truthful respect for each other early this season when Ryan Day was the interim head coach. Uh, Ryan Day, uh, Greg Schiano said some very nice things about Ryan Day at that time. Ryan Day said some very nice things about Greg Schiano. I don't think they were blowing smoke there. I think Greg Schiano gained a lot of respect for Ryan Day for the way he handled himself. And I think Greg Schiano, um, as a guy who is a former NFL head coach, much less a college head coach, and was not chosen as the interim coach when Urban Meyer was suspended, I think Ryan Day uh, gained a lot of spe- respect for Greg Schiano because Greg Schiano did things to help Ryan Day. He did not throw a baby fit because mm-hmm. Ryan Day got the job and he did. So I do think there is some mutual respect there. I also think the defense wasn't good enough. And I, the last podcast I talked about, I thought there was a clue in the news conference with Ryan Day talking about wanting a simple defense. I think this defense this year was not simple at times. I think Bill Davis is definitely gone. I think Stajarwa's maybe. I think Shiano's maybe. Um, Larry Johnson, I think, was Chase Young talking about the fact today that Larry Johnson said he will be back. Yeah, yeah. He point blank said that, that that Larry Johnson told him that he will be coaching next season, and Chase Young believes him because he said he was a man of his word. I mean, but we'll see. Like that's like obviously you say that in the moment, but we'll we'll see. But yeah, I've, I've, as far as Chase Young knows, Larry Johnson will be back on his coaching staff next season. Larry Johnson is as good as his job at his job as any defensive line coach in America. Ryan Day, of course, would want to keep Larry Johnson. That's just a decision where Larry Johnson is in his mid sixties. Certainly, he could make a choice of. You know what? I had a good run at Penn State. I came here. I won a national championship at Ohio State. I worked for Urban Meyer. Maybe this is a line where this would be a time for me to retire. That, I mean, that, that's a Larry Johnson decision. That's Ryan Day is not going to decide to get rid of Larry Johnson, but that's a reasonable thing to wonder. Um, so if Chase Young saying Larry Johnson will be back, that's good for Ohio State. Have I ever? Who, who's been to or covered a Rose Bowl? Um, I have it. Steven, when Steven was like in uh, third grade, I covered the Rose Bowl. Um, <laughs> third grade? Let's see. In 2000, how old were you in uh, 2005? 
Fifth grade. Fifth grade. I was 2000. No, no, sixth grade, because that would have been 2005 going into 2006. Right, the 2000, so, yeah, 2005 yeah, fall so I'd have been, season. I was a sixth grader, so I okay. was 11. Okay. So when Stephen was 11, um, this was back when uh, newspapers had enough money to do stuff like this. I covered my very first year in the Ohio State beat. I covered um, the Ohio State Notre Dame Fiesta Bowl, and then I persuaded them to let me to fly to let them let me fly from Arizona to California, and I actually covered the USC Texas Vince Young, Reggie Bush. Rose Bowl oh, National Championship game. That's uh, my first year on the beat because it was like three days after the Fiesta Bowl. And I was yeah. like, well, I was halfway across the country anyway. Why not go? So, um, so I went to that. Uh, I went to a Rose Bowl. I went to Northwestern, as people know. And uh, I went to that Rose Bowl in 1995 when Northwestern went. That was the year after I graduated. And I went to that. Um, and then I went to the Rose Bowl, uh, the Oregon Rose Bowl with Ohio State. So this will be my fourth Rose Bowl. Is that right? Fourth Rose Bowl. It's a nice game. I mean, like the sun, the sun does set beautifully. Like people get overexcited, but it, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a beautiful sunset. What are you going to do? If you're Ryan Day, Michael Walter, Mikey Dubs 09. All right, Stephen Means, you're Ryan Day. <clears throat> you have the ninth rated recruiting class in the country. Uh-huh. You have 16 commits in this class. You are trying to keep them in this class and you are trying to add to it. You are taking over for a three-time national championship head coach, and this is something I wanted to mention earlier and didn't. There are absolutely players on this roster right now who came to play for Urban Meyer. Mm -hmm. There are a million reasons to pick a college. You should not. Everyone always says, don't pick it for the coach. Mm -hmm. Pick it for the program. Pick it for the university. But that's not how it works. We know that. A lot of guys pick on a coach. Mm -hmm. They establish a relationship. There's somebody they want to play for. There's a style of offense or defense. There's something, a particular guy... Uh, has a reputation for getting guys to the NFL. All those things apply to Urban Meyer. There are guys on this 85-man scholarship roster who came to play for Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is leaving. Steven Means as Ryan Day, what is your pitch to these great players to get them to come to the same level of great player, to get that guy to come to Ohio State to play for you? Mm-hmm. When you don't have any national championship rings, you're not one of the great college football coaches of all time. In fact, you've never really done this before. What's your pitch? Urban Meyer is gone physically from this program. But everything that Urban, well, I don't know that for sure, but from what they told us on that day. No, you're Ryan Day. You're Ryan Day. You're okay. Ryan Day. You know right. it. Whatever so you say is true, Ryan what Day. We t- oh, yeah, that's fair. From what we told, I'm just going to repeat exactly what I said during that press conference, <laughs> but in a different way. Urban Meyer is no longer the head coach of this football team. But that doesn't mean that everything Urban Meyer put into place here and everything he did as far as from a culture standpoint, as far as from an environment standpoint, as far as how things operate standpoint, is just going to vanish because he is no longer here. Now, yes, I am now the head coach, so we're going to do certain things my way. I'm going to have certain people on the staff that I want here. There are going to be people who are no longer here because I don't want them here. We're going to establish a certain way that we're going to play. Yes, but... It is all going to still come from that same branch of Urban Meyer. I am the leaf that fell off Urban Meyer's tree. So that DNA is still here. We're not going to completely flip up and go from 
an offense that you've seen for the last seven years and just go start running triple offense, triple option offense. That's just not going to happen. It's going to still have a lot of the same remnants where we're going to have a lot of different guys on the field who are playmakers that we can get to the ball. I think on top of the, I think the main, the fact that he's an offensive coach can help this spiel out a lot because Urban Meyer was an offensive guy. And the fact that they've hired another guy who, if they had hired a guy who was, Say Mike, if Ryan Day was the defensive coordinator and they brought him in, then a lot of things change because now you become a team whose main focus is the defensive end of the ball. But your def- main focus is still the offensive side of the ball. And I think what Ryan Day will have the opportunity to do next year, ha- say Dwayne Haskins does what we all think he's going to do and go make a lot of money to play football, he's going to have the option to go back to maybe what Urban Meyer did for the first six years or continue to do what they did this year because he's got two type, types of quarterbacks who are in waiting right now for that starting to- quarterback job next year. Coach Day, I don't know. I've been talking to Kirby Smart, mm-hmm. Nick Saban, and Dabo Sweeney, and James Franklin, and Jim Harbaugh, and a lot of them are saying that you're just trying to be a copycat of Urban Meyer. And they said, why wouldn't I want to go play for an original rather than play for somebody who's, who's just trying to live off mm-hmm. what a previous coach did? So... I don't know, Coach. I mean, there's a lot of really good programs and, and coaches out there, and I'm being recruited by the very best. I just don't know mm. if you trying to keep alive the Urban Meyer way of doing things is really what I want as a player. I'd rather go play for a coach who's his own man. I'm still going to be – listen, at the end of the day, Ohio State's going to be Ohio State regardless of who the man in charge is. It doesn't matter if it's Urban Meyer, if it's Ryan Day. I don't care if it's SpongeBob SquarePants. Ohio State is always still going to be the Ohio State University, regardless of who is coaching that team. So don't look like, yes, you come to play for a coach, but also, listen, you got an opportunity here to play for the biggest football program in the country. Who's turning that down? Why would you want to turn that down? I don't know. Alabama's pretty big, too. Yeah, but they're not us. George is pretty big. Yeah, that's cute. Lincoln Riley. Us. Lincoln Riley called me in there in the playoff. Oh, right, there you. Oh, you want to bring up Lincoln Riley? Lincoln Riley. Look what he did in his first two years as head coach. His quarterbacks won the Heisman. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true, Coach Lincoln Riley. But why would I? Why, if I could go play for the real Lincoln Riley, why would I go play for the Ohio <laughs> State I'm, version of Lincoln all Riley? All I'm saying is, look, man, anything can happen. So give me <clears> his <throat> opportunity to prove to you some things, and let's go win some national championships. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Like I, I think he has a little bit of an uphill sales pitch, and I, and I think on some level it is almost easier to come in and pitch at a place that's in disarray because you come in and say, we're changing everything. Mm-hmm. We're switching it up. If you thought that this was a problem with Ohio State before, mm-hmm. well, now it's going to be like this. And instead, I, I know this might be counterintuitive, but the idea of like, Hey, you know how we were awesome? We're going to keep being that awesome. We're going to we're going to maintain our awesomeness. It's just that instead of a three-time national championship head coach, mm-hmm. we're going to have a coach who's 3 and 0 overall. Mm-hmm. I, I I almost can see that that would be a hard sell cuz I honestly if I were a kid, I I really think that thing I said like I'm not I'm not just like being stupid. Mm-hmm. Like the idea, I, I am really the main thing that I am curious about, and I am curious about as someone who covers this team. But it's the same thing I would be curious about as a parent of a player or of a player is mm-hmm. you talk about like nothing's changing, but you've changed. The guy in charge has uh-huh. changed. So, are you telling me that 
that you're just going to do the same stuff Urban Meyer did, except why would I believe that you're going to be as good as Urban Meyer? Or what can you really tell me to show that your version of this program is the right program for me? I think they, he has a, I think it's a very difficult line to walk mm -hmm. between continuing the success here yet establishing his own way of doing things. And I think he's really going to have to zero in on what is the right way to do that personally in his heart to make it work. But also right now in this moment with signing day upon us, mm -hmm. what is the right pitch to people? And what's the right pitch to these kids in 2020 to say, yes, we're keeping the good stuff, but but no, we're not being copycats of, of Urban. You I know think, what I mean? Yeah. You, isn't that hard? Yeah, it is hard. And I think the benefit is the fact <clears throat> that, like, he was here. I think if, like, so I guess, like, it softens that approach a little bit. Because say he was a, a outside hire and he's saying, hey, man, why would I go away from whatever I was doing? Look at how well it was. Well, then you're going, well, what was he doing? You weren't here. So how do you know what he was doing? You have no idea what was going on in there. He could have been doing all types of crazy stuff that was – could actually get your team sanctions and everything else under the planet you don't know what was going on you were halfway country for all we know ryan day actually being here like i think that adds a little bit of weight to when he goes listen there are some things that we're gonna as far as from a culture standpoint that we want to keep in place from the urban meyer era because he was here he actually lived it he actually applied it no he wasn't the the guy steering the ship but he was one of the guys who like enforced a lot of those things and chase young said something as well he said and I think this is true in sports. I think we give too much credit to coaches. At the end of the day, players do this. Like, it's, it's, it's not the, the coaches, like, is the mechanism. He's the guy who's got to answer the questions every Monday. And he's the face. And he's the guy who gets the magazine covers. And who's got to talk all the time. Yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, the players are the people who make programs. And that, those players aren't, go like, everybody's gone. But a lot of those players are still going to be here next year. Yeah, but the coach is the guy who's in charge of bringing in the players. One hundred percent. But the coach isn't going to be there. All, like he said, this like, like it's the co it's the players who who establish that culture. Yes, it's the the coach may name it and say this is what we're doing, but it, the players don't do it. It doesn't matter. And so I think it'll be for up to guys like Chase Young, Benjamin Victor, whoever the quarterback is next year, whether it's Baldwin or Tate Martell, and on down the. It'll be up to those type of guys who are now the upperclassmen, now the leaders of this team with. All three of your captains leaving, who will be the guys that you look at? I think that's the They're best. Like seven captains, but yeah. yeah, you know what I mean, man. Yeah, no, I mean, like most of the captains are gone. No, I know. Yeah, I so, think the the main thing is the simple fact is that I think the best thing he can do right now is, especially for twenty twenty, is get these guys in here and let them see it for themselves. The, the one thing uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think Ryan Day is going to have to find things in recruiting to say that he's going to do better than Urban Meyer. Yeah. He cannot just say, we're keeping it rolling. And like Isaiah Prince said something today. We asked a lot of these guys just about, you know, what did you think when Urban Meyer announced it? What was it like when they said Ryan Day was going to take over? What was it like playing for Urban and all this stuff? And Isaiah Prince was saying that, you know, hey, Ryan Day's younger. He's going to have more energy. And Ryan Day is 39 years old. Urban Meyer is 54 years old. Urban Meyer is not an old guy. Um, Urban Meyer has a lot more energy than a lot of other coaches who are still coaching, but he has had this health issue. And so I think Ryan Day is going to have to find a way. And I think Urban Meyer would want him to. Urban Meyer would tell him, hey, you can criticize me if you need to. Mm. Don't make me out to be some kind of perfect coach or some saint. Say, Go, go tell people, say, listen, we're going to do uh, – we're going to have a similar structure, but we're going to be even – 
we're going to have even greater energy. If you thought we got after it before, Urban had been dealing with this stuff for a couple years. I, I am, I've been waiting for this my whole life. We're going to take it from 100 and turn it up to 200. Um, he's going to, you know, Urban was a great offensive mind, but in, in some ways he was stuck in his ways. He didn't want to do some new things. I am at the forefront of offensive ingenuity in the modern age. Like he's going to have to find a way. And if, if, if it's like what your parent, if I was leaving this job, I would tell, I, that's what I would tell people. The next person, I would say, crit, like, don't try to do what I did. Find where you're better than me and point that out. Well, Doug might have done this, but I can do this even better. Ryan Day has to find those things. And, and if we're talking about the original question here was a pitch. There has to be part of this pitch where Urban Meyer's criticized. Like, yeah. not like, not like, you know, but like exposing, but like, hey, he just wasn't. being honest. Just explain, you know, like maybe there were some things as he dealt with health issues the past couple of years. Why did Ohio State lose to Purdue? Why did it get blown out by Purdue? Why did Ohio State get blown out by Iowa? Maybe there were some things slipping. I'm 39 years old. This is the chance of a lifetime. Nothing's slipping. Let's just nothing's slipping for let's Ryan just, Day. Let's just throw that out there right now. The last couple of years here. Urban Meyer has lost games that you can't lose. There's, there's a selling. Let's, I, we're not going to lose those games. We're not going to lose the Purdue. We're not going to lose the Michigan State. You know, we're not going to lose games that you cannot lose. You can't, like, they've put the, like, we can talk about the college football playoff, whether or not Ohio State should have gotten in all they want. But what it boils down to is they lost games that they should not have lost, which right. is, at the end of the day, the thing that left them out every single year. They lost games that they should not have lost. And if you replay them, and they know that. Everybody, they know that. The media knows that. Fans know that. Everybody knows that they lost games that they should not have lost. So there's a pitch. Listen, we're not going to lose those games. We're not going to lose that random game in week seven to Purdue or to Indiana or Illinois. We're not going to lose that game. We're going to win games that we're supposed to win. So that way we control. They, what they didn't do the last three years is they took, the, they took control out of their own hands and put it in the hands of some old guys in a room. Ryan Day cannot do that. That's where he can start. Do not take the control out of your – keep the control out of your hand, in your hands, and out of the hands of old guys in a room. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – it's. Uh, I, do, do, I, I think this is potentially very complicated. Am I making too big a deal out of this? No. I mean, we, we, we cover Ohio State, so everything's a big deal. I think – yeah, I think because, you know, Urban Meyer did a wonderful job here. He didn't – he did pretty much for the most part – if you want to glorify him a little bit, he did everything that, you know, you would have expected from a guy who's coached at the Ohio State University. He won national championships. He brought in big-time recruits. He got guys to the NFL. He never lost to Michigan. He won Big Ten titles. He did all of those things. And so if you come into it thinking, saying, hey, we're just going to continue to do that. We're not going to change anything. Well, I understand, yeah, as a parent or as a recruit, I'm going to go, well, why would I want to come play for you then? Because it seems like the best is, like, behind us. So, like, yeah, if he can point out things of, like, or I think one of the, the best things I think Ryan Day did before he was a head coach, when he took over the first three weeks, and Chase Young said this, Draymond Jones said this, a lot of defensive players said this, he went, he spent more time with the defense than he did the offense. And I think the reason why is because not just a head coach, like, you're not just the guy who's going to spend the entire time on the offensive side. You've got to really get to know all of your players. So I think he planted some seeds early on in the season, not necessarily with the expectation that this was going to be Urban Meyer's final season, he was going to be the head coach, but just, putting himself in a position where that if it, that opportunity 
showed itself, at least from that standpoint, he wasn't going to have to spend the next month introducing himself to guys who barely know him, even though they play for him. I'm just, uh, I'm not sounding the alarm. I'm just trying to be realistic about this. I think there's yeah. a lot of like momentum of like, hey, this is great. Hey, this is great, which is what happens every time a program keeps a guy. Mm-hmm. Every player, every coach, everybody involved with the program is always in favor of the guy in the building. It's just loyalty. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, it's easy. It's the easier thing to do. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I think Ryan Day's smart. I think Ryan Day's smart. I think Ryan Day is, proved himself to be a capable leader. Um, And listen, I had apprehensions about Chris Holtman. And I questioned whether he could make the leap from Butler to Ohio State, whether he could recruit on this level. Um, And I think I made those uh, doubts known to Chris Holtman and the way I asked him questions early on. And he's removed every doubt. So um, Gene Smith, that's a big win for Gene Smith. I had a lot of questions about the way they handled the end of Thad Mata and the start of Chris Holtman, and Gene Smith won that one. Um, And I think Gene Smith is looking for a very, very similar thing here. And I think he tested that out with a – not just – Ohio State football is king around here, and everybody knows that around the world. So I think – the basketball program was a great place to like test that theory out without if it didn't work out it'd be as a terrible hire but no one's calling for anybody's job i think he's seeing it work there allowed him to go okay i can try this here in a situation where well if this doesn't work out someone's gonna get fired it's not just gonna be the head coach i'm not trying to um i'm not trying to be a jerk about it i'm just i'm just trying to be realistic and um like i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna be like dog and ryan day like ryan days eight no ryan days eight no if mm-hmm. ohio state wins the big 10 next year I, like I, i'm all in i mean like it's like i'm all in on chris holman what's there to not i mean like of course oh i'm all in on the guy who like took the team that was picked to finish 12th last year and finished second in the big 10 yeah yeah oh great job doug way to believe in chris holman like of course everybody in the world believes in chris holman so i'm not gonna like um I'm not here to be a naysayer about Ryan Day. I am just trying to be a little realistic about this um, because it's the same thing I've said with everything else. When you move, remove Luke Fickle and replace him with Bill, Bill Davis and you remove Kerry Combs and replace him with Tabor Johnson and you think those guys that left are good coaches and when they were here you said they were awesome, you can't 100% automatically assume that the next guy is just as good. Often at Ohio State, in Ohio State football, whether it's a player or a coach, often the next guy is just as good. You lose an All-American, you replace him with an All-American. You're losing a three-time national championship head coach who's one of the Arguably one of the 10 best head coaches in college football history. Mm -hmm. That's a high bar, man. That's all I'm saying. Um, This is an interesting question. Fast Eddie at Edward Waller has a couple different ones, and we'll hit a couple. We'll hit uh, two of these at least. One of them is, um, and this is like an important schematic thing to talk about, and I just have like a quick answer on it. If Greg Schiano leaves, does Ohio State go to a 3-4 defense under Alex Grinch? When Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator at Washington State, they did run what he called a 3-4, but it had, it wasn't just like, and that's the thing about like 3-4 and 4-3 anymore in football, college or the NFL, everybody is so multiple, everybody is a nickel so often, um, everybody is, is, is moving around rush ends and guys are putting their hand on the ground. His 3-4 often had four guys with their hand on the ground. 
he often dropped an outside linebacker who dropped down like a rush mm-hmm. end. Um, I think when you're at a place with Larry Johnson, I think you want Larry Johnson to have multiple defensive ends who can get after the passer. You want Tyreek Smith and Chase Young and Jonathan Cooper and some of these other young guys to have opportunities to get after it. Um, they've been very creative on the defensive line. Um, they go, you know, talking about three, four. They, their their pass rush on third down is often three down linemen, and they're putting linebackers in gaps. They're going nickel. They're going three, three, five. Um, so, I, I, like, I do think if, if Greg Schiano leaves and Alex Grinch gets control of this defense, I do think it could look a little different, but I think it would look less different than a shift from 4-3, quote, I'm doing air quotes, from 4-3 to 3-4 would necessarily make you think. They're still going to utilize, I think, that outside linebacker who um, is basically a hybrid safety um, a guy like Malik Harrison who can run and hit but also cover slot receivers. They're still going to have a guy like that uh, in their linebacker crew. It's just a matter of um, are you maybe playing two more like inside linebackers, which is kind of what they do now in a way that it's like if, if Malik Harrison's floating out there, they're in nickel so much anyway. They only have two linebackers in the field a lot with this defense. And sometimes when they keep three on the field, um, it's like maybe Pete Werner and Tuff Borland are both sort of operating as inside linebackers. Malik Harrison's really operating as like a hybrid safety and those linebackers are filling gaps in between defensive tackles. And so it's like, what are they? Well, is that a, is that a four, three? It's like, it's like a, it's like a three, two, six sometimes, you know, like mm-hmm. it's so um, I just do think that if, if you read stuff, you'll read Alex Grinch ran a three, four Ohio state has run a four, three for a really, really long time. If Greg Shiano leaves and Alex Grinch takes over, I'm just telling you, I think stuff is so multiple, the positions shift so much. Guys place. There are so many hybrid positions. I think it would change less than the than hearing three four four three would lead you to believe. This is the second question from Fast Eddie, who had some good stuff. Now that Day is the head coach, do you think this opens the door for Matthew Baldwin to be the quarterback next year, or is it Tate all the way? This is all assuming Haskins leaves for the NFL. Haskins is gone. Um, yeah. He hasn't said it, but of course he's gone. We're saying um, for him. You talked to Tate Martell. I yes. talked to Matthew Baldwin. Um, I have not written that you've written your Tate Martell story. I've not written my Matthew Baldwin story yet. Um, I'm going to relate it this way. When all this stuff was happening with Ryan Day and Urban Meyer and who's going to be the next head coach, the thing that was an important factor in all of this was Gene Smith loved Ryan Day. Mm-hmm. Anything else, other candidates, urban status, what Michael Drake thought, anything else, the guy who was ultimately making the decision really liked Ryan Day. Ryan Day really likes Matthew Baldwin. So we have talked about this before. Ryan Day, just because Dwayne Haskins chucked it all over the place this year, doesn't mean that Ryan Day is going to have his quarterbacks throw 60 times a game for the rest of his career at Ohio State. Ryan Day is going to be open. He said this. They're going to be open to an offense that fits the personnel. So I absolutely think that Tate Martell could be the quarterback next year. I don't know that in terms of like dual threat quarterback versus more of a thrower, I don't know that anything changes really with how Ryan Day assesses quarterback play versus how Urban Meyer assesses quarterback play. We'll have a million questions for Ryan Day Day about that on signing day. The thing that I think might matter is that Ryan Day loves Matthew Baldwin. Like, forget style, forget any of that. Ryan Day, when Emory Jones decommitted, 
went down to Texas and plucked out a kid who was committed to Colorado State and said, do you want to come play quarterback at Ohio State? Ryan Day has a great belief in Matthew Baldwin. And it's amazing sometimes if you, when you heard Urban Meyer talk about JT Barrett, and JT Barrett became one of Urban Meyer's favorite quarterbacks of all time, Tom Herman went down and plucked JT Barrett. Urban Meyer would talk about JT Barrett in a way that he basically said, like, I didn't really know JT Barrett mm-hmm. before he got here. Now, Urban Meyer signs off on everything, just the way Ryan Day is going to sign off on everything now. But Tom Herman went and found JT Barrett. Ryan Day went and found Matthew Baldwin, and now Ryan Day's in charge. I'm, I'm just, I just want people to know it doesn't matter what I think of Matthew Baldwin. It doesn't matter what Steven thinks of Matthew Baldwin. The guy who's now the head coach loves Matthew Baldwin. Which means that, to answer, to semi-answer that question, uh, when you say all of that, what, what you're really trying to say is Tate Martell is going to have to outright win this job. There can't be a question. I, I don't, and what I don't think there is anymore is an assumption, right? That like Tate's next in line. Yeah, Wayne Lee's no, Tate's next. He in has line. to win the job. Any, I think there's a true battle in the spring. In, in, I don't even. I won't even say it's a true battle. I'll say this. I think it's Matthew Baldwin's job unless Tate Martell outright like Tate Martell said. He said that Dwayne Haskins helped make him a better passer. We'll see how like much of a better passer that is because. Dwayne Haskins is probably the greatest passer Ohio State's ever had. So we'll see how much better of a passer um, Tate Martell is come in the spring. But from the sound of that, I think because of all of that involved, I think it's Matthew Baldwin's job unless Tate Martell outright wins the job. I don't, I don't know if I believe that, though. Because Matthew Baldwin's never played a snap. Right. You think Matthew Baldwin's that far ahead? I don't know if he's... <sighs> you, think he, you, think, you think he'd go in ahead. I think so. And I, th- I think the fact that this worked so well this year is why. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that Matthew Baldwin is anywhere near the talent that Dwayne Haskins is. Because, no, he's not. Dwayne, there's never going to be another Dwayne Haskins to come through here as we're getting wrapped up. Can you move over there? Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. Okay. And, but I'm, I'll say this. I think because this worked so well this year and they figured out figured it out and we saw it pretty much perfected the last couple of weeks, I think Ryan Day likes that. And I think Matthew Baldwin more fits that than Tate Martell does. I think Tate Martell, J.K. Dobbins, in the zone read would like work really, really well It'd too. It'd be beautiful. So I, I think I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna assume and view it as an absolutely open competition for the quarterback job. Tate Martell has played. Matthew Baldwin has not. Tate has not played a ton of snaps where they're treating him as a true quarterback. Tate does throw it better than people give him credit for. Um, Ryan Day loves Matthew Baldwin. It'll be a fun spring game. Quick word about MinutemanTickets.com. I recorded this commercial earlier, but something was sped up and I sounded like an elf. But you know what? I feel like an elf because I'm giving you a great Christmas gift idea. If your house is cluttered up with crap like my house, Buy an experience for somebody in your life. Get them tickets to something you can go together. MinutemanTickets.com has every possible thing you could want to go to. Wherever you are, 
If you go to MinutemanTickets.com and put in your area, you'll find great events happening near you that they have tickets for, okay? I'm giving you an example of what's going on in Columbus. In Columbus, for the holiday season, you could get tickets for the best Christmas pageant ever at the Lincoln Theater. That's a great little show. I took my daughter to a Rudolph show last year. Great, awesome Christmas gift. Mannheim Steamroller at the Palace Theater. Great Christmas stuff, okay? Ohio State Basketball. Get it at MinutemanTickets.com. January 5th, Ohio State, Michigan State. Get tickets. WWE Live, December 27th. I know there are people listening to this who have people in their life who love the WWE. Nationwide Arena, December 27th. Check out the ticket selection at MinutemanTickets.com. Columbus Blue Jackets, Ohio State men's hockey. The Harlem Globetrotters, tremendous gift. December 30th at the Schottenstein Center in Columbus. Harlem Globetrotters, 1 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Get your tickets at MinutemanTickets.com. I'm telling you, just go to MinutemanTickets.com, run through their selection, plays, concerts, sporting events. You will find a great gift that won't clutter up your house. You get a ticket for yourself, a ticket for your loved one. They have to hang out with you. You have a great night together you'll never forget, and you'll have MinutemanTickets.com to thank for it. All right, back to finish up Buckeye Talk. We've moved to a hallway here at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, constantly on the move, bringing you the finest Ohio State podcast that's rated only 4.5 stars. All right, we're going to get to some Gmail questions again at BuckeyeTalkPod at Gmail. Josh Abby. Joshy Abby. If Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback of the 2015 team, would they have been the greatest team in Ohio State history by far? Even with Tim Beck, Ed Warren, or Zach Smith on staff, maybe even the best in college football history. Like, if we're going to start playing, like, take one take one player and, like, add them to another team. Um, Dwayne Haskins took this offense to a different level this year. Um, Ryan Day and Urban Meyer helped him do that, but Dwayne Haskins did that. They allowed him to do that, but Dwayne Haskins did that. So... If we want to start playing like, what if Dwayne Haskins was on like the 1969 team, would they have not lost to Michigan? You know, like you can play that game because Dwayne Haskins is so rare in Ohio State history. But um, that team shouldn't have needed Dwayne Haskins. That 2015 team was stacked with 10 guys who were going to be drafted in the first three rounds of the 2016 NFL draft. So they had enough. They had enough with Cardale Jones and JT Barrett if they had handled that quarterback situation better, which I've said a million times. And the big thing there was that they got trapped in a year when they brought back everybody from 2014 except the offensive coordinator. And in trying to integrate Tim Beck and Ed Warner as an offensive coordinator team with the loss of Tom Herman and throwing a quarterback competition in the middle of that, they screwed it up. So, like, if you want to throw Dwayne Haskins in there, I guess you could. But they had enough. They had enough to create a mini dynasty, and they blew it because they lost the one game they couldn't lose. But that team was as good as any team in the country that year, and you know it. That was the best team in the country that year. So what you're saying is basically, hey, if we take the best quarterback in the country from this year and put him on the best team in the country from that year – neither of which had an opportunity to win a national championship. Are we saying that they would have won a national championship? I mean, yeah, probably, because now the the passing attack is pretty much flawless, and the running attack is 
is amazing. So yeah, probably they won the national championship. But like, I mean, yeah, if that's the case, then let's take guys from the 06 team and guys from this team and that team. You can do that all day long with any sport, any year, any team. Hey, if we take the best players from all of history from a program and put them on the same team, what happens? I mean, yeah, they're probably going to win the national championship. Yeah, so. if you put Orlando Pace on this team, yeah, what happens? Like, he probably would never get sacked. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that's a what-if game. Like, if I was 6'8", I'm probably in 250, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be playing for the Lakers right now. But So, I if I was 6'8", and 250, I still would be sitting here. That's okay. But my tailbone would hurt more than it does right now because I'm 6'1 and a half, like 215, and my tailbone hurts a moderate amount from the pressure that my body is putting <laughs> on my tailbone so on this hard old. floor. So uh, Joshua Abi had a second question. We'll keep talking about Tate because this is going to be good. We're going to talk about Tate yeah. and Matthew Baldwin to the spring. What do you think is Tate Martell's upside as a quarterback? I think saying that he's the next Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray because of play style and height similarities might be a little too much. Yes, comparing him to the last two Heisman winners is a little <laughs> a too much. much. Yeah. But I think if he can be a playmaker like Trace McSorley or a more accurate version of Khalil Tate at Arizona, then Ohio State should be fine at quarterback um, next year if Martell is a starter. I think Trace McSorley isn't a terrible comparison. Um, I think Shade Patterson is not a terrible comparison. I, he's not the athlete that Kyler Murray is. No. Um, and he's not the precision quarterback that Baker Mayfield was, making throws on the run and playing within structure and outside of structure. And then Kyler Murray was just could make every throw. And then when he got moving in the open field, it's just unbelievable. Um, I think there is a lot of playmaking there with Tate Martell. And all along the line, I've said he's something in between Braxton Miller and, J and JT Barrett. The one thing I'm apprehensive about with Tate at the moment is that I didn't think he ran the zone read great. When they went to the Tate package near the goal line, I think there were multiple times when he mis misread whether he should have kept it or given it. And I thought that was something he was really good at from what we saw in the spring game and from the way people talked about him before. That was something JT Barrett was really good at. And you need that down at the goal line. You need that, hey, look, you know, we don't even know who has the ball kind of sleight of hand with the zone read. And I didn't think he had that. Um, I think we need to see more of that from him because I thought there were times he could, he gave it and he could have kept it and scored a couple times when there were times when the package looked like it didn't work. And I think almost everything would work on a play except Tate's decision making. So do you feel like, and, and again, we only have 10,000 more Tate more uh, more Tate questions and answers ahead the next couple months, Stephen. But do you think Tate has an upside? I think he does have an upside. It, I think his decision making, especially in the last three or four weeks that they would use that Tate Martell package, wasn't good at all. But I'm not going to completely put that on him, mainly because they barely did it, and they would randomly <coughs> throw it into the game when like just it seemed like they were just tossing him out there because Urban Meyer really wanted to get him on the field. And it didn't really have a purpose. It didn't have a purpose this year. You had a quarterback who was clearly a pocket passer, who was ama amazing at being a pocket passer. And I think because Urban Meyer really, really just wanted to get Tate Martell on the field, they would just throw it out there sometimes. And it didn't work because of that, because it wasn't something that was implemented early on in the season. It was just something they would throw out there. I think now, you know, depending on how this spring goes, say let's just put this in a vacuum of if he gets this job. That's something that they're going to be working on for the next six months <coughs> leading up into August when the season starts. So I think he'll have the opportunity to get better at some of that decision-making. 
And like, yeah, we we he got on the field this year, but to, let's be honest here, his experience and Matthew Baldwin, Matt Baldwin's experience aren't like that far apart. Like Tay Martell's experience is garbage time at the end of the game when the game is decided, or at random moments when they just threw him on the field in the red zone to try to make make something happen with the run game. He doesn't have like any like true real experience under center at Ohio State. So I think. Yes, there are a lot of times this year where that decision-making wasn't as good as maybe it should have been. But I think in a vacuum where, let's say, he does win this job, he's going to get a whole six-month period where they're getting a chance to install everything, and he's getting a chance to get reps on that in a way that he didn't get this year. I think it's had a chance to, as you mentioned, Stephen, be a really interesting spring because obviously it's Ryan Day's first time to be totally in charge. But um, I, I this quarterback battle, whatever's coming with Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin, I think Dwayne Haskins has given people a new way of looking at the Ohio State offense that I think they're going to have to like unlearn. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we probably have, in many ways, the wrong impression of Tate Martell because somehow along the way, the way they used him, we thought of him. We people have thought of him as like a wildcat quarterback, like a guy who's a wrinkle guy who, who can't even, who can't throw the football. And I true. think, I think he very quickly in the spring uh, will remind people that he can throw the football. Um, and I think it's going to be um, to go from urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins. It was going to be a change anyway, because nobody is like Dwayne Haskins. And even though it was a change back, it was going to be a change. But now that it's going to be a new head coach too, this is, I think it's going to be a, a great deal of adjustment for Ohio State, for the team, and for Ohio State fans to see um, what this offense especially is going to look like because I think it's going to be very different in a lot of ways from what we saw this year. Dom Fonts. Hey, guys, is it just me or has this been an all-around unmemorable season? He means in all of college football. He doesn't know who Kyler Murray. He doesn't really watch Kyler Murray. He doesn't know what his achievements are. Boo. Everything about this season seems boring and entirely forgettable. Um, and I think... I think I would say this. Three of the four teams in the playoff are the same as last year. And the other team finished fifth. Georgia was fifth this year, and they were in last year. Um, the top two stayed the same the entire year. The top and Alabama and Clemson, like, everybody knows their deal. Mm -hmm. And they were there the whole season. <clears throat> and then Oklahoma switched quarterbacks, but the Oklahoma quarterback still won the Heisman. Right. This is what it's like to be in the rest of the world. And the only difference right now is that Ohio State is in the rest of the world. They're not in that top boring part. Because when your team is the team that's good every year, you don't think it's boring. No. When Ohio State won the Big Ten every year under Jim Tressel, nobody at Ohio State thought that was boring. You know who thought that was boring? The rest of the Big Ten. So right now, there are people who would probably tell, there are Minnesota fans who would tell you, oh God, the Big Ten, another boring season, Ohio State won it, right? You might think it's boring because Ohio State is a step below that top echelon. And Ohio State for the second year in a row is one of the top six teams, but they're also for the second year in a row, not one of the top four teams. And when the top four teams are three or the four are the same as last year and the other one's Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is not new and exciting. That's the that's the deal, man. This is what it's like when there are dynasties, and and that's where. And I don't know if it's good, but this is not a this was not a wide open college football season. This college football season basically went exactly as everybody thought it would, 
And the way everybody thought it would go is basically be a repeat of last year. Sports are only boring when you're not winning. Always keep that in mind. Because, and if you're, and if you're, there are ways, like if, if, if Ohio State was not in it, but the playoff was, um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. What if Alabama had lost in like week nine? Yeah, Alabama lost and it's LSU is in the playoff and uh, Herm Edwards got it going in year one and Arizona State made the playoff and um, West Virginia made the playoff. They won a shootout with Oklahoma. Like at least it would be different. Like okay, Ohio State's still not in, but at least you might be curious because it's a little different to watch Alabama again and Clemson again and Notre Dame is Notre Dame and Oklahoma again is not that exciting because if you don't if you don't have your team in you the next best thing is like an interesting underdog is like yeah. a surprising story that everybody's talking about oh I can't believe that happened there's nothing that happened in college football this year that would make you say I can't believe that happened. Even the underdog is the same freaking underdog. It's the same mm. stupid UCF argument we already had last year. So, like, the little cute upstart is annoying and the same. Yeah. So, so I, you know what? I think you have a point, Dom. But the hard thing is, for Ohio State fans, you have to realize that's what a lot of other people on the outside think of Ohio State. They think Ohio State is annoying and boring and the same. And it just so happens that right now... That's what Ohio State's thinking about the rest of college football. And that's because the first year you start winning, it's like, oh, man, look, it's the new guy. Everybody <coughs> likes the new guy until the new guy stays into the stays in the party too long. Kyle Lawrence. We have to get into this Dwayne Haskins hype and stuff a little bit because people were giving me crap. Uh, Didn't love it. Didn't love it. Despite Haskins' gaudy record-breaking numbers and outperforming both Murray and Tua in many aspects of the game, when you look at the comparative stats – it never felt as though Dwayne Haskins ever had a legitimate chance at winning the Heisman. Do you think this had more to do with Ohio State's off-the-field issues taking the spotlight away from Haskins, Ohio State being somewhat out of the playoff picture with another blowout loss to an average at best team, or a media national vendetta against Urban Meyer and therefore the school? Love the podcast. I always enjoy listening all the way from Savannah, Georgia. Thank you, Kyle Lawrence. Thanks, <coughs> I think the first two are part of it. I think the last one is not. I don't – listen – there are uh, 930 Heisman voters or whatever the number is. It's like 870 media people and 55 former Heisman winners, something like that. It is a wide swath of people from all over the country. Um, most of them are like not employed by ESPN. Most of them are newspaper writers um, who cover college football at a wide variety of outlets. Um, it's There's not a... There's not a national vendetta on anything because it's just a bunch of dumb people making individual choices. Um, and I'm one of those dumb people. So, like, I can't possibly imagine, like, having a vendetta on somebody to be like, oh, I'm not going to vote. And, and, again, if it's, like, something where a kid broke an NCAA rule, and none of this involved kids. And the idea that, like, you would hold something that Urban Meyer or Zach Smith did against Dwayne Haskins is just – I don't think that's how people operate or not enough – to, to affect this vote. I've said it before. I do think the Urban Meyer stuff in August sucked the energy out of the room. That was the only story where people were talking about around Ohio State in August and at the start of the season was Urban Meyer's suspension and Zach Smith stuff. They were not talking about Dwayne Haskins. If no crazy stuff had been happening about at Ohio State, they would have been talking about Dwayne Haskins. And I do think the blowout loss takes him out. Takes him out of the conversation a little bit. And I also think, for me at least, when I vote, I do consider where your team finished just because 
There's a lot of great individual players, but I don't think you play in a vacuum. You play in a situation where you're trying to help your team win. And it's not Dwayne Haskins' fault that Ohio State lost to Purdue, but I'm going to lean toward playoff teams. So I do think all those things factored in Dwayne Haskins, but I do think Tua was so dominant so early that he took most of the attention. And it was almost like a one-man race. And then Kyler went nuts at the end, and he stole it. Um, and I think if Ohio State had made the playoff, maybe Dwayne would have gotten some more votes. But they didn't. But I don't think it was like a – it wasn't a plot by anybody to punish Ohio State. I think it's just the way the season went. And it felt like Tua for so long. And then Ohio State – by the time Ohio State played Northwestern, like they were kind of out of it. Oklahoma had won – Yes, Dwayne Haskins lit up Michigan, but um, that's like that's not what it was about. And I just think, I think this thing, I think this happens a lot in voting. Whatever the final vote was, it was like something like Tua got. Well, I can look it up. Tua got like five hundred and some first place votes. No, no, Kyler, Kyler got, Murray got five seventeen. Five seventeen. Yeah. And Dwayne got like forty nine. Right. Yeah. So, here's the thing. I, you can have voting, and I think this happens a lot. You can have voting where each individual vote is very close, but the overall vote is not close, if you know what I mean, right? That like, you might have 800 people who all say, man, I had a hard time deciding between Kyler, Tua, and Dwayne. I thought they all were very close, but then like, 75% of the people all come to the same conclusion, which is it was close, but I went Kyler to a Haskins. And I think here, that's what happened. It wasn't that like Dwayne Haskins wasn't in the mix, is that there were really only three people to consider. There were only like, Dwayne got 46 first place votes. There were only like 17 other first place votes. Mm -hmm. Kyler got 517, Tua got 299, Dwayne got 46. And there were like 17 other first place votes combined, everybody else. It was a very, very clear top three. The overall point totals were 2167 for Kyler, 1871 for Tua, 783 for Dwayne. Fourth place got 126. This was a very clear cut, one, two, three. But I think within arriving at that clear cut, one, two, three, I think a lot of people thought long and hard about it. And I'm just going by what I went by. I thought, I did think about all three of them. I thought Kyler was pretty much the obvious choice. And then I went back and forth on Tua and Dwayne. That was a coin flip to me. I ended up going Tua, Dwayne third. But, but I don't think people dismissed Dwayne Haskins. Do you think people dismissed him? And I know the ESPN coverage people felt dismissed him. But the ESPN coverage was actually reflecting the vote that they were reflecting straw polls and they were reflecting, mm -hmm. listen, we've talked to enough voters. We know Dwayne's not in it. And like, you can be mad about that, but when the final point totals are 2167, 1871, 783, that is a huge gap. It's a thousand point gap between second and third. It was a 300 point gap between first and second. And I, you're not gonna treat the third place guy the same. No, you're not. But I think that's where a lot of that, hey, this is gonna have a vendetta. News-wise, ESPN might be the worldwide <coughs> leader in sports, but they are not the only people in the world who cover sports teams. Right. So like, there, there needs to be this, like, this isn't ESPN rules all, to be honest with you. 
Now, I think it is the fact that, like, you know, college game day had Tua and Kyler Murray sitting up there and Haskins was nowhere to be found. And every time there seemed to be a Heisman type of thing, Haskins was nowhere to be found. I think, yeah, we all knew Haskins was probably going to finish third. And it wasn't going to be – he was going to clearly be the third place finish. And it was really going to come down to how much did that big – that SEC performance for Tua – lose him the Heisman Trophy. I think we all kind of knew that's how this was going to come down. And Ohio State fans, being Ohio State fans, looked at that and went, wait, no, the coverage should be equal. No, it shouldn't be equal. It should reflect the vote. And the vote clearly was going to show that Tua and Kyler Murray were pretty much going to be the guys running in this race for this with Haskins just kind of tagging along for the ride. And and so I just, the the thing that bothered me, and I got a lot of crap for my ballot, um, which is fine, but listen, like, I think you have to, like, I'm not biased. You're biased. And it's yeah. fine that you're biased. You're a fan. You root for your team. You want your guy to win. But for you to turn your bias on me, and that, like, clearly almost everybody voted Kyler won two or two, Dwayne three. That's exactly what I vote. But somehow, like, like I'm, There's people, a are, are, people are, like, tweeting poop emojis at me. Like, I'm not wrong. You're biased. And and again, I'm not criticizing you for being biased because you're supposed to be biased. You're a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm a journalist, and so I'm not biased. So I'm telling you that I evaluated those three guys individually. I had a very difficult time between Tua and Dwayne for two and three. You must take into account that Dwayne played like 400 more snaps than Tua. And so if you're just, if your only argument is like raw stats, raw stats, raw stats, raw stats, Tua didn't play like in any fourth quarters, okay? And yes, I know Dwayne did it against Michigan. I get it. Tua played some good teams too. Tua was hurt against Georgia, okay? He played with a high ankle sprain that he got like on the fifth play of the game. So like there's certainly an argument for Dwayne and there is an argument for Dwayne at number one, but to act like it's obvious and that like if someone didn't vote for Dwayne, they're a biased idiot. You're a fan of your player, and you wish you would have gotten more votes. But, like, I'm not the crazy one, I promise you. So I really did think about it long and hard. In the end, people want an explanation. People are like, explain your vote on Twitter. It's like I posted it with an explanation. So, like, there's my explanation. Kyler offered more as a runner than Dwayne, obviously, not even close. Um, And then the two guys that I voted for, both their teams made the playoff, and Ohio State's team... Ohio State did not make the playoff. Kyler and Tua both had more games with higher passer ratings than Dwayne did. Dwayne finished really strong. Dwayne wasn't perfect. He wasn't great against Penn State. Listen, they lost 49-20 to to Purdue. They, they beat Maryland 52-51, right? You notice the difference there? The difference there is that the defense sucked in both games, but the offense found a way to win the Maryland game. They could have scored more than 20 against Purdue. Dwayne threw for more than 400 yards in that game. They didn't score. Through 63 passes. <clears throat> they didn't score. He scored 20 points against Purdue. And now you're making me like criticize Dwayne Haskins, who I think has, he has done nothing this season other than throw a football better than anybody in the history of Ohio State football and handle his business with complete poise and class but with the that, entire year. But with that, how say Haskins' numbers were otherworldly this year. The entire season, they were otherworldly. With that being said, 
Numbers do not lie, but they do not always tell the full story. Exactly and right. It, you just said it. Haskins played like 400 more snaps than Tua did. That's because Tua was busy sitting down in the fourth quarter drinking a Gatorade because Alabama was up for so much. Tua went into LSU, who at the time was rated third in the country, went into their stadium and destroyed them. They didn't score. Like that, that has to take an account for some things. Meanwhile, Ohio State goes into Purdue and they lose big time and like in the same in the same instance as a Maryland game where the defense didn't show up again but the offense played better that has to count for something so yes Haskins broke a lot of records the way we all thought hey he's good enough that he might break a lot of records if they use him the right <coughs> way but at the same time it all has to be within the same con- kept into a context and and we're we're not criticizing anybody we're no. trying to parse it between three really really good candidates and people had said any many other years, these three guys did enough to win it. They're all from gigantic, successful programs, and they all put up crazy numbers. But also, Kyler lived in a world where Oklahoma's defense gave up 45 points every week. He knew he had to score seven touchdowns a week for his team to have a chance. And he did it. And he did it. So it is not a criticism of Dwayne. I do think, could Dwayne have been a closer third? Absolutely. I think he could have been. Was Dwayne, did Dwayne finish third because of some bias? No. Was Dwayne hurt potentially by the attention that Urban Meyer and Zach Smith got early? Yes. Is that why he didn't win the Heisman? No, I don't think he, he was hurt enough by that. That's why he didn't win. And listen, if Ohio State was undefeated, I think he might have won. Mm. If Ohio State was number one in the country, he's in it because then Kyler like, yeah, doesn't make Kyler, it. I, Kyler now, might still make it, but I don't know if he's, he might go to third. Because what happened is everybody was on the Tua bandwagon. I thought Tua was going to win in a blowout. Going into the SEC championship game, the championship weekend. And I think if Ohio State was undefeated and like number two or number three, and Haskins plays like that, Haskins, what happened is that people were on Tua. Tua looked bad in a big game that everybody watched, and people looked for the Tua alternative. And Kyler looked amazing. And Kyler became, I don't think Kyler won the Heisman. I think the Tua alternative won the Heisman. Yeah. And if Ohio State had been undefeated, I think Dwayne, and that everybody was watching that Big Ten championship saying, hey, if Ohio State wins this, they're in the playoff. Let's watch Dwayne. This game really matters. Instead, by the time that game was played, it kind of didn't matter. (coughs) If Dwayne had been positioned as the Tua alternative, I think he may have gotten a lot of that late momentum that Kyler got because I think people that last weekend – once Tua left that door open, they were looking for somebody else. And they all coalesced around Kyler. So stuff happens, but I'm just telling you, like, it's not crazy. We're low like, kicked out. Guys. Yeah. It's not crazy. You're like cleaning a floor and yeah. we're sitting on. It's not like crazy to not vote for Dwayne. Okay? So like if you were one of like, I didn't love it. I didn't love it because here's the thing I don't love about Ohio State fans, and I love you guys because you're passionate and the reason you are the reason that Steven and I have jobs. But you cannot go through the world feeling like you're persecuted or that Ohio State is persecuted because Ohio State finished fifth in the playoff rankings last year or finished sixth this year or Dwayne Haskins only finished third in the Heisman. Ohio State is one of the five most important, most successful, most popular college football programs in the country. Maybe one of the top two. Nobody's out to get you. 
you get so much benefit of the doubt. You're on TV all the time. You're talked about all the time. You get great players all the time. You have every advantage in the world. You've barely missed the playoffs the last two years, and your Heisman candidate this year finished third. So like the persecution complex, you're on top. So it is very hard to like feel sorry for Ohio State people who feel like Dwayne Haskins got screwed. He didn't get screwed. You were one he of just the, didn't win the Heisman. You were one of the five teams in the entire NCAA where it's – if you're not in the playoff, it's because you took yourself out of the playoff. Yes. That's what it is. So keep that in mind before you say some ESP or somebody has a vendetta against you because y'all are still Ohio State. I mean, you're always Ohio State, and there are – a million advantages that come with that and have, have been earned by Ohio State. Ohio State has earned its status. But the idea that the world is out to get you is just a tough way to go through life, man, because it's not true. David Renner, I know everyone is in love with Marcus Freeman as potentially the new defensive coordinator, but do you think we could get Kerry Combs back from the Titans if we give him a DC? Combs brought such energy to the defense. It was a heck of a coach or even a potential Co-coordinated position with Marcus Freeman being the second part of that co-pipe dream, I know, but what a dream. So listen, I think Grinch is gonna Grinch has a co-coordinator right now with right now with Shiano. I don't mm -hmm. think he's losing that. Um, I think I, I, I don't know. Like I'm not I, I think you might be able to get Kerry Combs back with a co-coordinator. I, I don't know that I don't I think Kerry Combs liked it here, and I think it's possible that Kerry Combs felt like he was underappreciated. Um, for what he brought here and that like, you know, Alex Grinch came in and got a co-coordinator title on top of him and Kerry Combs is sort of like, hey, I'm speculating here. Um, so, and especially with like, hey, now Ryan Day's in charge. Like, I, I, I don't think that would be impossible. If Ryan Day wanted to go down that road, um, I think there might be a road there. I don't expect that's the road they're going to go down, um, but there might be opportunity there because they miss him. They miss Kerry Combs. He's really good. And if I could get Kerry Combs back, I think I'd try it. Uh, Doug and Steven from Dan Ryback. Urban was obviously well-known and well-connected in the coaching world. Who is Ryan Day connected to? I know he's a Chip Kelly disciple himself, but who has he coached with or is affiliated with that are potential rising stars like him that may want to advance their career and join us now that he is the head coach of a premier school? For example, does Ryan Day's best man coach linebackers? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. <coughs> he, is most, he is so closely associated with Chip Kelly. That and then Dan Mullen is another guy who's a who's from that um, who's from the New Hampshire mafia of college football with Ryan Day and Chip Kelly. Um, I don't know who like the younger guys are with him, and that's something worth researching. Um, like I said, I think it's a very this quarterback coach um, thing is going to be very interesting. Who he hires for that spot, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I didn't look it up before uh, before I just we asked that question. Um, it's worth looking into. It's a good question by Dan. We'll look into it. Why is ESPN ignoring uh, oh, Dwayne Haskins? It's on the Heisman night. Their entire Heisman buildup is settled only on Murray versus Tua. Uh, do you think Ohio State's consecutive blowout losses in the BCS championship game in the mid-2000s no. has hurt them with the playoff committee? No. I know a decade has passed. No. Nobody cares about the BCS anymore, guys. No. That's not it. It's not it. Um... Doug, you stated on the last podcast that Urban's new role with the school can't involve him having an office in the football building as he would loom too large over the team and Ryan Day specifically. I like the idea of Urban Meyer continuing to loom large over the entire Ohio State football program. That's worked out well for us. What if their plan was for Urban to act as true CEO of the program? 
Like, no. <laughs> this is not a business, dog. Like, he, Urban does 100% of the CEO work. Day does 100% of the head coach job. Tell me how this doesn't work. Because this isn't a Fortune 500 company, and Urban Meyer is not Ryan Day's dad. FYI, I based this entire theory on Garrett Wilson reportedly <laughs> saying that Urban would still have an office in the football building and be present in the program. <clears throat> It's a, it's just a hard, would you want that in your job? The dude who had the job, job and did it extremely well to just be all over you for like the next however long he's here? I think it's dangerous territory, man. I'm just, we can end on that. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you that I just don't think that's how things work best. I think he'll be here, but it won't be in any capacity that's going to like have anything to do with football. You have to let Ryan Day be Ryan Day. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Sharps, back on Twitter, is it wrong for me to want Weber to declare for the NFL draft so I can see J.K. get more carries and see some of these young our running backs get some playing time? I think that's going to happen. I think a fifth year for Mike Weber, uh, I think he's done what he can do here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just natural. I do want I want to see J.K. in a clear lead role. Um, they will have other options there next year, but like Master Teague is not going to have a co-share with him. They looked like they, they were moving toward Demario McCall as like a third down back kind of thing um, at the end of the season. I think that's possible that Demario, who had been an H-back, <coughs> if they want to play Jalen Gill at H-back, they can play Jalen Gill at H-back, maybe with K.J. Hill, make Demario more of the second running back. I think there's multiple options there. Um, I do think it's time. I think Mike Weber was good this year. I think it's makes sense to me that Mike Weber move on. Yeah, I was never a fan of the rotating going back and forth with the series. Yeah, I think there's nothing more Mike Weber's going to be able to prove. I think this is like a team next year as far from a running back standpoint. And it's going to be one of those things as soon as like next spring, everyone's going to be writing a story about J.K. Dobbins saying like, yeah, it was really hard last year to share carries. It's a lot easier when you're the guy. Like that's what happens all the time. But like this is there were parts of this that like you got why they did it. But I think there are parts of it that were not great. Uh, Eloy R. Hernandez, I know you feel that Ohio State should be able to get anyone they want to coach the Buckeyes, but is the same true for positional coaches and coordinators? I mean, now that Urban is no longer the head coach of the program, with other, will other promising up-and-coming coaches look elsewhere? That's exactly, I mean, I've always meant that. I've meant it not just the head coach. I've meant it because this is a place, and this is, goes back to, and we can end with this, this goes back to what Stephen was talking about, the idea of you're Ohio State no matter what. Yeah. There, are, there is a recruiting base here. There are facilities here. There is a big time commitment to winning here. Um, there is everything you need to go out and recruit. You aim for the best players. And there's a million other programs in the country, probably all but 10 programs in the country. You can't recruit, recruit the best kids because you don't get them. You've got to say, well, that kid looks great, but probably Alabama's going to take him. You don't have to do that here. You can go get whoever you want. You are coaching NFL players every day. You're not showing stuff to guys in practice who can't physically execute it. Every day, you're coaching the best, you're recruiting the best, you're in the best facilities. That is something that people want, and there is no reason that Ohio State should not have the best coach at every single position on the field. And and and, and that's what you shoot for, and if you get turned down, you get turned down and go to the second best guy. So that's all I've ever said. That's what they always should do. Urban Meyer would tell you absolutely that's what they should do. Ryan Day would tell you absolutely that's what they should do. But also I could point to the places on the staff where that's not what they've done. Ohio State has reached a point where it does not matter who is wearing the hat because the hat is already amazing.
All right, last one. I, I lied before. David McMahon at dmcmahon65. Does Day have to reconnect to Ohio high schools? Urban looked nationally to recruit more, which wasn't a bad thing. Your thoughts? Um, I don't think Ryan Day is going to be able to recruit nationally at the level Urban Meyer did because, like, nobody can. For them to go in and be winning kids in Texas and Florida and Chris Olave is from California and Wyatt Davis is from California, that's not normal. And so I do think they need to get back to some uh, more Ohio-centered recruiting. They have four this year. They only have four Ohio kids so right. far? Yeah. That is... I'm pretty sure. I, I'm Like, I've been down this road many times. Where are you on that, Stephen? How, how do you think... What's the right balance for Ohio State, what their roster and their recruiting classes should look like? I get why they did. They went national with Urban Meyer, because Urban Meyer does that better than pretty much everybody in the country other than maybe Nick Saban, as far as being able to just go anywhere in the country and go sit down and go, hey, I'm Urban Meyer. I coach at Ohio State. Come play for me. And that kind of working out in his favor. I think Ryan Day does need to... Because at the end of the day, this is the first time head coach at the end of the day. So I think he does need to establish a recruiting base within Ohio. I think he's doing he's it's a good start, even though this is still technically Urban Meyer's recruiting class. It's a good start. You've got the Mr. Football for this year coming into play this year. Um, but yeah, I think as you they've already lost two guys from the twenty twenty class. Uh, Ohio doesn't suck at football. So I think that as a first time head coach, you do need to establish a presence within your own state. I think he will. I think he needs to. Um, they have one, two, three, four, five, five commits for 2020. Again, they've lost a couple of them. Yeah. Paris Johnson, who was a big time five-star offensive tackle, um, number 10 nationally, is the only Ohio kid. They have their quarterback there, Jack Miller from Arizona. Um, I just think that's a, Ryan Day's not from Ohio, but he's going to have to. He mentioned that in his initial thing mm -hmm. about recruiting Ohio, which was a smart thing to do. The thing that you have to be able to do is guarantee that the best kids in Ohio want to go to Ohio State and then have a place at Ohio State, the, the top echelon kids, whether that's seven to 12 kids a year. I think you need to guarantee that. What you don't want to get in the business of have happening is the best kids in Ohio want to go to Ohio State and you don't have a spot for them. You need to keep that pipeline running. Um, I think Ryan Day understands that. I think Ryan Day probably realizes they're not going to recruit quite at the same level nationally. And I think um, there is always that thing of you build, you build these kids who have that innate Ohio State thing. I think Urban Meyer had, had several good players come out of the Luke Fickle era where Luke Fickle wound up getting kids in the year that he was recruiting. He went and got kids who wanted to go to Ohio State no matter who the coach was. Pat Elfline wanted to go to Ohio State no matter who the coach was. At any time in the history of Ohio State, Pat Elfline wanted to go to Ohio State. You need some kids like that on your roster. I think it makes your program better. I think it makes your team better. I think it strengthens the recruiting ties in the state. I've always been a little worried about that. And when it's like, yeah, well, we got a, the numbers – 53 player in the country from Texas instead of a three-star Ohio kid, it makes you feel stupid to be like, well, why didn't you take the three-star Ohio kid right. instead? But at some point, you can't play all the four and five stars from across the country. And that foundation of the special teams kids and the kids who are backups and aren't going to transfer, you need them, some of those kids to be Ohio kids. And then some of those kids pop. Some of those kids are Darren Lee. Some of those kids are Tyvis Powell. We've run through this a million times before. It was something I was worried about when Luke Fickle left. 
I think they, Ryan Day will get back to that. I think it was smart that he mentioned that in his opening news conference. But again, 16 commits in this class. Stephen just said four from Ohio. Let's just run through this real quick. We started with recruiting a little bit. We'll end with recruiting. Here are the states. This is ranked in order of their national ranking. The states these 16 kids are from. Texas, Georgia, Florida, West Virginia, Ohio, New Jersey, Missouri, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio, 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 Florida, Maryland, Indiana, Tennessee. It's four to 16. When Jim Trestle was here, he almost always had about 50-50. Yeah. It has dropped a lot. Urban Meyer had a lot of classes that were more like 17 and seven. This is four. This is 12 to four right now. Now, a lot of it, the kids you get early, you go get national kids early. You try for more national kids, and then if you can't get them, you pull in Ohio kids late. These Ohio numbers will go up, I think, with some late ads. But I just think I, I would expect a shift, and I would expect a dip. Urban Meyer in 17 and 18 pulled in the number two recruiting class in the country. This 2019 class is not going to be number two. And I would not expect Ryan Day to continue to recruit the number two class in the country. Not in a world where he's going against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Dabo Sweeney. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's okay. And so what it boils down to is you need guys that you don't have to explain the Michigan game to. You need to have <laughs> some subset of the roster. Yeah. Because not only do you not have to explain it to them, they can help explain it to, to the, the guys other guys who do need it explained. Yeah. And I've always worried about that a little bit. Urban Meyer lost nine games in seven years. So, like, what was there to worry about? But I think if, if you know, you, you need kids that aren't going anywhere, that no matter what, they want to be a Buckeye. And I think that's not a bad thing. All right, listen, thanks to you guys for listening. We moved around a lot. <clears throat> we'll have another podcast next week. This is the last time we're talking to people before the Rose Bowl, before things start in California on the 26th. So we will have stories that we are trotting out. We started a series called 20 Ohio State Questions that we're breaking down 20 different questions about the team. One a day between now and the Rose Bowl. We'll have a bunch of other stories. We will have signing day coverage on December 19th. Ryan Day will speak with us then. We will have capsules of the recruits that are gonna be signing with Ohio State filtering out at, on cleveland.com over the next several days. We will have this stuff covered. We have a lot of stuff. Stuff still from the Big Ten Championship game. Stuff still evaluating this new world with Ryan Day in charge and Urban Meyer retiring. So for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks as always to you guys for listening. For now, from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, that was Buckeye Talk.